there's a lot of craziness going out there in the world. Yeah. You do not want to be tied to somebody monetarily, even if they're like a good person. If y'all, if your values aren't in alignment, yeah. then there's going to be a conflict there. I'm Raphael. I'm Cecil. Welcome to Family Man Building the Brand, the podcast that explores what it means to be a father, husband, and a businessman. Join us as we talk to entrepreneurs that are winning at home and in business. Join us as we talk about their journeys, family life, and tips for success. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Family Man Building a Brand podcast. So today, this is a special episode because we have our first female on the podcast. Ralph and I were just talking. Woo, woo. Exactly. That's oh, a big round of applause. We have our first female podcast. And we're going to have a different perspective to family life and entrepreneurship. So I'm going to introduce Nicole and then we got to get the whole show started. So Nicole is a real estate investor, a wife, and a mom of two beautiful daughters and also a nine to five entrepreneur. She is the founder of Noir Vest Holdings, where she holds and builds her multifamily real estate portfolio and is extremely motivated to grow her portfolio and transition from residential multifamily to commercial multifamily. So welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank welcome you. In. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Congrats on the podcast. Like I just hearing good things. And I I just know this is going to blow up and be Amen know, to super that. impactful. Thank you. Thank you. Amen cool. to that. So what Thank we you. like to do is, I mean, just to get this show started, people will probably think, who's Nicole? Tell the audience a little bit about yourself and then we'll dive into a great conversation. Okay, perfect. Well, you gave the high level overview right there. I started my real estate investing journey in 2015 is my first solo purchase. I had some ups and downs in my journey before then, which a lot of people will. And you just have to keep pushing through and pivot and find what works for you. And so my first step into the multifamily space, which is where I always wanted to be, but I thought that had to come later down the road, like later in my portfolio, after had years and years of experience and all these other things. And like, common misbeliefs. You don't have to start with single family. My first was a multifamily house hack. So I lived in one okay. of the units, rented the other two. And I think that is a fantastic opportunity if you live in a market where there are multifamily buildings and that's possible. If you're willing to sacrifice, some people think living with your tenants is horrible. They would never want to do that, blah, blah, blah. Yes, tenants, you know, there's ups and downs, but you have, you learn hands-on how to be the property manager how to deal, be the contractor, how to deal with tenant relation, be a people person, follow rules, like get, make sure the property is maintained. Like when you make that first step from renting into ownership, it's really a huge wake up call because most of the time something breaks, you call your landlord like, oh, we got to fix that. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'm the landlord. I have yeah. to fix it. Right? <laughs> like that's yeah. me. Right? So that's like the... When that first stuff started happening to me, I was just like, oh my God, I actually have to do this myself. But the other side of it was like, I can actually do whatever I want with the property. Like I can build something over here. I can put a, a wall up over here. The landlord's not going to be mad if I do something, or if I change the bathroom or the kitchen layout, or I can do whatever I want aesthetically and not even functionally, whatever. But anyway, that's a long intro into the house hacking part of it. But I just think it's a great way to build wealth and experience hands-on. And so after holding that property for a few years, the appreciation was phenomenal. I was able to refinance and pull out a bunch of equity. And I used that equity is what got me started. Like I got a mentor and coach in multifamily space. 
And then I bought my, I used part of it as a down payment on my first commercial multifamily building. Okay. I had a joint venture partner for that one. And then I also, you know, like I started one of those whole life insurance bank on yourself type of policies. I bought like some silver, like I just like put, I'm a big believer in spreading around your, you know, capital in as many buckets as possible okay. to kind of squeeze all the juice out of it. So literally that's kind of how I got started and started with the refi and roll strategy. Well, that's loaded. And we're going to unpack all of that today because I think the audience is hearing a lot of stuff and they probably, I mean, most people probably don't know what a venture is, the whole life insurance. So we'll definitely, but before we get there, I think we want to, we always like to take it back because I think the whole point of this is telling a story and uh, we want to get the audience to really get to know who you are because I think it helps also with their mindset, but for them to understand how you became who you are. So going back, kind of tell us a little bit more about how, like how, where you grew up and what was your childhood. Okay. Okay. I got that. So yes, I am not the person who should own commercial real estate and have businesses and joint ventures that if you're seeing this, you see the people that we are, the ethnicity that we are, like the color of our skin. But even economically, I didn't come from a white collar or above kind of household, right? I grew up in a seven person household, my mom, dad, and five children, but we had one income, my mom's. So my dad had health issues and he could not work for as long as I can remember. I probably remember like one instance when I was really small where he had like a car shop. And other than that, the rest of my childhood, he didn't work. He got disability, right? My mom worked two or three jobs for that entire time. And I remember us as kids actually having to help go to these other jobs with her so that she could finish one job in time to get to the other job in time. So that's just something like I grew up with you needed to, we didn't have name brand anything. So I remember one time, like when I was very young, my dad had like a car shop at some point. But other than that, my entire memory of childhood, he was not working. He was on disability. And my mom was working two to three jobs. And some of those jobs, us kids, she would bring along to help her finish one job in time to be done so she could get to the other job in one time. And so it was kind of, it was always a stretching of the dollar. It was always that, I didn't feel like I was, you know, wasn't eating off the floor. Like I wasn't digging in trash for food. So yes, you can always point to something that could be a worse situation. I was never homeless. You know what I mean? Those things like my yeah. parents really shielded us a lot from the financial aspects of it. But this is all reflection as an adult looking back at what the childhood was is that we didn't have name brand stuff. We went to Payless for shoes, went to Foreman Mills, which was like a discount store for clothes. We never saw movies the weekend that it came out. You'd have to wait six months because we'd go to the dollar movie that was down the road, you know? So yeah. things like that. I just thought my mom just didn't ever like to spend money. And <laughs> like, if you bought a $20 shirt, that was too much. She would blow up. Like I got in so much trouble one time when I was older, like a teenager, but I was working at a retail store. I got in so much trouble for using my employee discount to get a shirt that and was 50 something dollars, but cost me 20 something dollars. And I just got so much trouble because I spent too much money for that shirt. So it was wow. one of those things, like I have a lot of um, lack of money mindset, like money abundance, that kind of thing has been something hard for me to work through because that's so ingrained into my psyche from my childhood. So yes, I definitely didn't start like 
That's why I feel like house hacking is such a great strategy to start with because you can get in with a FHA or NACA or one of these other low down payment assistant programs, but you can also then live for free. So you're attacking on both sides, like putting less money out of pocket to get started and then also potentially living for free and reducing one of your largest monthly bills, which is your housing expense. So I just think all around and build wealth at the same time with the equity. So. That makes sense. Well, well, they, you know, it was key. First of all, Nicole, having you on this, on this episode is really dope. And for you to tell me your mother's dynamic, it has me intrigued. Like, you know, because it's rare, the societal norm is the man go out, they hunt, the woman stays at home, takes care of the home. The man provides that one income for the five kids. I think that's what, that's how all the stories similar to yours normally it wouldn't normally it would go but now in your case is your mother you know it was opposite your mother was out hunting because your father wasn't able to and now you're you're you know you are who you are within your family and you're the one building this brand and things of that sort you know i'm intrigued what role does your husband play in building or your business slash brand is it similar to the dynamic you were raised in and saw all your life Actually, you know, that's a great question. And thank you for even making that similarity because I've thought about that as well. Like that's just shaping who I am as a person now. I don't do the cooking. I hate doing the cleaning at home. Like my mom did do that, but because she had to, but I'm just like busy with my job and the thing, all the stuff. So I don't like, I'm not a typical household kind of, you know, structured woman. And I hate that way that sounds, but I have no other way to frame a reference to describe that. But yes, now my husband, he does still work a full-time W-2 job. So he does still, we honestly still split most bills. And I want to say all the bills, 50-50. So we have a, we still have our, we've had our separate bank accounts for the longest time. We still have our separate bank accounts, but we only do a joint account for the household joint expenses. And we split that 50-50, no matter how much else is he's bringing in a lot of my other business income as I'm still building rental income and business stuff and other ventures, I still have that in those business accounts. And I don't always take, you know, normal withdrawals from there because I'm still building that up. And I don't, in case I need it for some other business expense or growth or marketing or things like that. So I don't really touch that right now. There are plans to do that in the future, but what he's doing more so than financial is the household support and the support of me being able to be out the house. Like on top of my W-2, sometimes after work, I have to stay late so I can record my podcast episode or so that I can get on calls or I'm gone for a weekend because I'm going to a real estate conference. And I try to limit that travel as much as possible, not only so I'm not leaving my husband with the kids all the time because I still want it to be like a fairish dynamic with that, but I also, my kids are still at the age that they're young enough that they want mommy, you know? And so if I'm gone at the house for too long, too many days in a row, like one of my mentorship groups I'm a part of is having a cruise next, next February. But, and I really want to go, but it's a week long cruise, like a seven day <laughs> cruise. That is long. That's a long time. And even though my kids will be a little bit older, but they're not that much older. And I just feel like that's too long of a time period. I might just have to miss it because. If it was like a three-day weekend cruise, then I can swing that. You know what I mean? So it's sacrifices on my side trying not to be out of the house too much, but doing just enough where I can still meet with people, meet and mingle, do the things that I need to do and grow 
And my husband, in the meantime, does a lot of like, he'll order bulk. He's like in charge of ordering bulk toilet paper and soap and washing laundry detergent and stuff like that. Because if it was up to me, I'd be like, oh, we got one roll left. Let me go to the store. Like, or we just ran out. Let me go to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't realize it until I'm in the middle of using it and it's gone. And I'm like, what happened? We didn't order nothing. So if it wasn't for him keeping up with a lot of those different aspects, we both are not really chefs, but luckily we have his mother-in-law or his, not his mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, his mother yeah. is like a big cooker, you know? And so they're always cooking. She's cooking for the kids, but she cooks, you know, Caribbeans, they cook a lot of big portions, family-sized portions. <laughs> so even though it's for the kids, it's enough for us too. So we survive, you know? So it's one of those things, listen, it definitely takes the village and without everyone being involved, it will be really hard for me to be able to shake and move like I need to, even though I feel like sometimes I'm pulling back. So you, you do have a it. supportive network. You said it takes a village. I mean, and obviously, I would like to think it's an African problem. But I don't even know, but it takes a village to raise a child. Because, <laughs> I mean, I think for Ralph can attest to that. I mean, for him, mother-in-law or his mom, three kids and having, but it, it's, it sounds like, and I'm going to ask, I mean, you can give it as short as possible. It sounds like, as you were saying, there was a little bit of guilt in there, which I think for men sometimes is very yeah. different. Staying away from the kids. I mean, I know I don't like to stay away from Kenzo, my son, but I don't know. I've never been really put in a position because I was in that position before he was born and my wife and I decided, hey, you're not going to do anything that requires you to travel anymore. So I don't really stay away from him for much time. But if I go on weekends, I'm like, do you actually feel, do you feel that? Because I don't know. I mean, I, it sounded like it, but do you actually feel guilt? Because now this is a woman trying to build a brand and right. never wear generally or stereotypically men just to like, I got to do what I got to do. Right. Yeah, I definitely feel the guilt. And I think, and I'm, of course, I'm saying this from a woman's perspective, yeah. but I feel like the guilt on the woman's side is going to be heavier than the guilt on the man's side. Because a lot of times, especially when your kids are still young, they're still, you know, they have that unspoken bond with mom. Yeah. And sometimes there's something that mom can do or just the comfort that mom provides. Just it doesn't matter to me that I'm doing anything. They could just be sitting next to me. You saw that my daughter was trying to climb yeah. up on my lap. <laughs> she didn't need anything. She just wanted to be touching me, you know? And so that kind of thing, I think like there's been times when they were maybe a little bit younger, but I'm trying to leave to go out to work and both of them are bawling by the front door, blocking the door so I can't go out because they want me to stay home. And I'm, and this was like actual W-2 work, not, you know, my yeah. extra stuff. So it's, it's one of those things where definitely there's guilt on the kid side and there's guilt because I don't want to feel like I'm leaving my, I'm putting my desire and my business like as an extra responsibility for the household or my husband. Even though he knows that I'm doing it for the family, there's still like that internal guilt I have of not wanting to leave him with too much due. Like that, we should be doing the household stuff Together. just as equally. Yeah. So, but I'm, you know, I'm working on this so that I can have the free time. But right now is the moment when I don't have the ex a lot of extra free time. Makes sense. What, Makes sense. Hey, look. I mean, look, man. It's just we got we got a family woman on the episode. You know, family woman's building the brand. So I want to I want to unpack some more of this. You know, murky territory question because she said one thing in regards to the 50 50 on the bills and things of that sort i want you to really tap in on that nicole and first of all do you are you in agreement that things should remain 50 50 
as we're building this up? Or is this just something that you rolled into? So you've embraced it and it's okay, but you'd rather be 70, 30, the male paying more and providing and things of that sort. Can you, you know, tap in on that a little bit more? I actually think that the household bills should be in conjunction, like split percentage wise, equally with our W-2 income percentage wise, like whatever percentage of our W-2 income we bring into the household, that's how we should split the bills. I don't want to include my other in outside income yet. Like I said, I'm still building on that. Sometimes I have high, especially with rental properties, you need to turn a unit and the quote comes in higher than expected for turns and repairs. And then you just need that money back. So I, that money is still in growth mode and I, I never know when I'm going to need chunks of it. So I work bills off of W2 income for the most part. So yes, we're doing 50-50. His, he actually p- gets paid a little less than I do. So I would be willing to pay a higher percentage, but he likes the 50-50 because he wants to feel like he's contributing, you know, 50% equally. You know, he's the man of the household. I shouldn't have to be giving more. That's his thought process. So the one thing that I do do for the household expenses is our house hack. We moved out of there, but the rent, because our unit was, we basically were living for free because the other two units paid for everything. So when we moved out, the rent that we were getting from the unit we rented out that we used to live in, we now use that to subsidize our rent in our new location. So that's what I consistently pull from my other building to help us just with living expenses. So, but otherwise everything else kind of stays over there and then all the other bills are with 50-50. But yeah, I would be willing to do the percentage. Yeah. Okay. One more, one more quote unquote murky question in regards to this is you building the brand and your husband, you know, being involved in that. Do you feel like since you're you're building something and you've gotten traction, you know, real estate is one of the foundations and pillar of wealth and success in this country. Do you feel like he should put more effort into this wave that you're on right now and this traction that you've gotten? Or is this something where, no, he can build on his own and build something separate. I got this and let's build separate things at the same time. Because these are topics that are really prevalent in our community, you know, you know, and it's kind of like 50-50. Some people are saying no, some people are saying yes. So can I hear from you? Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. We hear that? No. I, we have thought about this plenty of times. He's actually the one who took me to my first three-day seminar. And I signed, it wasn't a three-day seminar. It, no, it was a three-day weekend. He paid for the three-day weekend tickets. He was going to take his sister, couldn't go. So he took me. We were still dating at the time. Oh, From there, I signed up for the coaching. And then I just jumped in both feet and I've been in ever since. Oh, and he wow. kind of fell back like, oh, okay. I'm going to, that's not really my thing. I was trying to share all the information and resources because I upsold, I got upsold to the bigger coaching program. And I still was sharing everything with him. Hey, you want to look at this? You want to do this? You want to do this? And it, from the beginning, it really wasn't his thing. He didn't really want to do it. So it was like years and years of education that got me to this point now. And he hasn't been doing that. So for me to start with him now is there's a big gap because he has not been doing like he's doing a lot more education. He listens to a ton of podcasts and he's just he's getting himself there, but he's figuring out what he wants to do. And I think just personality wise, it's not going to be good for us to work together and live together. Right. We need to keep some <laughs> separation. And I just want to be able to do what I want to do. And at this point, I've been doing it myself for so long. I want to make the decisions and I want to be the boss. Like if this is my real estate thing over here, 
please don't block me, man. I got stuff to it, do. It, it's, that's <laughs> interesting because I think I think that mindset go. is very entrepreneurial. God. I think entrepreneurs have this. We kind of sometimes want to be left alone when we're doing things. And I feel it's a, it's a gift and a curse because I think the, the curse being maybe we don't know. I, maybe this is just me. Maybe we don't want to be accountable for certain things. I don't know. I mean, it could I could be right or wrong, but. Obviously, the gift, I mean, if it being like we figure out things ourselves and then we go. So, I mean, but at the end of the day, I think you guys have found a way for him to be supportive. I mean, he took you there and you ran with it because obviously right. it could be a personality thing as well and, and that type of stuff. So it, it makes a lot of sense. Now, going into the real estate part, because you've given a lot of information that I think will help somebody new wanting to go into real estate from that perspective. You mentioned that like your first house that you guys moved into or got, you guys house hacked. Now, how does this whole house hacking thing work? Because a lot of right. people talk about it. And I I'm, I mean, I know a little bit about it. And I always tell, I tell my younger brother, I'm like, yeah, you're not married. You don't have kids. Don't do things maybe the way we did where, I mean, I got married and then we bought a house. So for you, you could do that house hack. So if you were talking to somebody like him, how do you explain that house hack? And I also know you mentioned like an FHA knock and so Explain that process to someone didn't know so that it makes sense to them. Okay. So overview, high overview, house hacking is buying a residential multifamily property. Residential multifamily is anything four units and less. Okay. So basically two, okay. three, or four units. Once you hit five, you're now in the commercial space. You can't get the same type of homeowner down payment programs and things like that because it's commercial now. Okay. But up to four units, you can still take advantage of first-time homebuyer loan like FHA. And then there's the other program, NACA, that helps you do 0% down and a very low interest rate. There are some other rules that it's like a lot of hoops to get through to get approved for NACA. I've heard. I have not done that. But you also have to stay in that house for a certain time frame, like year-wise. So if you okay. plan to like house jump around, like NACA might not be the best, you know, okay. loan product for you. But in any case, so you buy a house with FHA is three and a half percent of the purchase price that you put Ooh. down. There might be some extra fees with the pro loan processing part. And some people don't like FHA for that reason. But it also can be rolled hey, it beats 20%. in loan. It beats 20 percent even with the fees. Exactly. And those fees can be rolled into the loan and amortized okay. over the 30 years. Okay. So then it's not like you have to come out of that with out of pocket for that. So as an example, I live in New York City. New York City is extremely expensive. The biggest, you know, expense for me to cut out was my housing expense, right? Yeah. My three-family house, which I thought I was not going to be able to get qualified for, was $500,000. And I only had to come out of pocket $17,000 and some wow. change, which sounds like a lot. To this day, I don't know how I saved the whole $17,000 because I didn't have a lot of money saved. I was living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So... There was some from my retirement account. If you take money, I piecemealed the down payment okay. just to let people know. Okay. You can take some money from your retirement account if you, even if you're still at your current job. So you take it as a loan, not as a withdrawal. But that loan, if you have, if you're purchasing a property, they let you take that loan out with a 10 year amortization. So the payment will be lower. Okay. Amortization is just the amount of time that the, your loan payments are spread out over, whether okay. it's 10, 20, 30 years for people who don't know what amortization, the longer the amortization, the lower that monthly payment is going to be for you. So 
I took some from my FHA. I mean, not from my FHA, for my retirement account. I borrowed some from a friend and then just paid her back, like maybe 5000 I borrowed from a friend and paid her back the month after we closed. It was supposed to be a gift. She filled out the gift paperwork, but I knew I was going to pay her back. We had a side agreement. So I think statute of limitations is probably gone. But and and then I had some from a little bit of saving. So it literally was just piecemeal together to get to that 17,000. Yeah. And you put that down. And I think I don't know. I feel like there's something else. Oh, the $500,000. Some people will be very scared about that number. When I first was looking for property, I was approved for $250,000 or $200,000, actually 200,000 flat. So I wasn't looking at $500,000 properties. But just so you know, when you go and get a loan approval, you have to specifically ask for a multifamily and give the loan person the the estimate of what the rent is going to be for the type of product that you're looking for, because they will take 75% of the rental income and add it to your W-2 income to help you approve for the higher amount. And so that's why I was able to get approved for more because... In a three-family property, I had two three-bedroom apartments and a two-bedroom apartment. So I told them I was going to live in the two-bedroom apartment and I was going to rent out the th- the two three-bedroom apartments because I wanted the extra income from those two three-bedrooms. So the three-bedroom, since, you know, I was, I don't think at the time, maybe a little less than $2,000 a month. So 75%, and that was from each apartment. So that's $4,000 a month. You could take 75% of that and add it to my income and help approve me, like get my DTI, you know, good and give me my income level needed to be able to afford the $500,000 loan. That's why people, if you're people who are tenants and they think, think landlords just have all this extra money, like, no, I got approved based off of the rent. I don't get rent. I can't afford the mortgage. <laughs> yeah. Like I can't just afford it off my own W-2. So I know that was kind of lengthy, but for people who want to get hey, started detail. in house hacking, and you can also do this concept with a single family, I've heard of it, but now the difference is now you're living inside the same unit. So whether maybe you want to put locks on your bedroom door, you have to share oh, your kitchen and okay. refrigerator and things like that. Okay. And you're only going to get approved off of your income because the other units are not separate to rent. Honestly. Okay. Okay. So there's different ways to do it. Yeah. Very detailed. So I think, like I said, if you were explaining to someone who was trying to figure out how to do it, they got a lot of information there and they can call Nicole to ask her more about that. So, well, well, Nicole, is it do? I know house hacking, you say, is number one in regards to getting into residential real estate per se and not just single family. What other, you know, tips, tricks, or what other ways? to get into this part of the game with multifamily versus going straight conventional loan. I know you mentioned FHA, NACA. Can you kind of break down FHA a little bit more? What's the percents? And is that another angle of getting into this multifamily? What if your clothing choices could make a difference in your community? Introducing Royal Dynamite, a t-shirt line founded in Los Angeles with deep roots in Sierra Leone. Our founders met in the U.S. with a passion for streetwear and a commitment to giving back to their community. With every t-shirt purchase, we donate a portion of our profits to support education and entrepreneurship programs in Sierra Leone and other parts of the world. Our t-shirts not only represent your personal style, but also your dedication to community and making a difference in the world. Join us in creating a world where your clothing choices are statement pieces and an extension of who you are. Shop now and make an impact. 
use the discount code for 20% off your purchase, BAMBABRD20, F-A-M-B-A-B-R-D20. This will give you 20% off your first purchase. Go to royaldynamite.com, R-O-Y-A-L-D-Y-N-A-M-I-T-E, royaldynamite.com. Yeah, for the residential side, for the under four units, two to four, yes, you can use FHA and use the three and a half percent down. So that's where the number where I bought the $505,000 property. But that's only if you're going to stay in it, though. If you're not staying in it. If you're only going to stay in it, you're living in it. But guess what? There's no timeline for how long you have to stay in it. People throw out a year because, yes, I mean... And I, I don't think there's any paperwork I signed to say you have to stay in it for a year. Once you close on the loan, you basically, the bank can't dictate anything. They can't dictate anything that you're doing. The, be- the biggest hit you're going to get is maybe insurance because you want to make sure your insurance is now a non-owned homeowner policy okay. because if something happens and they find out you don't live there, they won't cover it. Uh-huh. So that's okay. one of the things. Like if it's a homeowner policy, then you have to be living there. And the homeowner policy is going to be cheaper than a non-owner, a non-owner occupant policy. That's okay, what it's called. Okay, okay. So in any case, yeah, you basically just want to use that three and a half percent so that you can leverage more at a less amount. If you want to go, you can skip residential and go right into the commercial and do five to 10 units or something like that. So if you feel comfortable with that, but you're not going to get three and a half percent, more than likely you're going to have to do 20, 25% down maybe partner with somebody, find a business partner. You have to just go out and network, go to these real estate events, get to know who people are. Don't just partner with the first person who says they want to partner. You get, you got to suss people out and kind of vet them because you never know. There's a lot of craziness going out there in the world. Yeah. You do not want to be tied to somebody monetarily. Even if they're like a good person, if y'all, if your values aren't in alignment, let's say they want to reposition this property. Reposition just means rehab it. They want to rehab this property and then in two years, sell it off for the highest price possible. But you want to hold it for long term because you look at it for generational wealth. Yeah. Then there's going to be a conflict there. So you have to make sure you're in alignment with each other so that when situations happen, then you're going to be on the same page. You don't want one person say, oh, well, I just want to put lipstick on a pig. I just want to put the smallest amount possible in turning this unit. Versus somebody who wants to do everything correctly and fix something that's behind the walls because of safety concerns. But so that's going to be more money out. But if you have, don't have the same values, you're not going to want to operate the property the same way. So you want to make sure anybody you potentially partner with can, you know, be in alignment with what you want to do. And as far as, yeah, yeah. But and as far as loan financing options for the commercial side mm-hmm. there there are a lot of non-traditional lenders where you don't have to go to a conventional big bank you can go to a i'll just say i'll keep it simple you could go to like a community bank or a local lender okay they normally will have a little bit more flexibility in their loan terms it won't be as rigid of a box you could kind of negotiate or they have a range with which they can you can work with so doing that and then finding like maybe private lenders going to family and friends and letting them know what you're doing and show them the work that you've done so far to build up and to gain your knowledge and experience and see if somebody will trust you partnering with some money. But also, that's on the line advice because you do not want to, okay, everything I'm saying, other things come to my head. You do not want to create a security with raising capital from friends and family. And security basically means 
you're raising money from someone who's not has no decision making and no hands on involvement with the deal. That's against the law. And the Securities and Exchange Commission can come after you. So if you raise money from friends and family, if you want to be safe, then make sure just assign them some kind of role. Give them a voting right, give some certain percentage or whatever where there there's involvement there. So it's not like a strictly passive income okay, kind of setup okay. for them. You don't want to trudge into that territory if you don't have to. So there's so many different ways I could go with this. And yeah. I, as you can see, I love to talk. So anyone listening, if you want to talk more about it, please hit me up online. Yeah. I'm so happy to talk I mean, to anybody. That, and that was what I was going to ask, because I think. We kind of talked in depth about residential multifamily and Ralph stated towards the, the commercial and how you can go into that. And I think that's something, like I mentioned earlier, you are looking to go into and kind of want to even go in from a mindset because a lot of people, including myself, get stuck with because it's almost like going from, let's say, living in a, a 2,000 square foot house that you bought for $100,000 and then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I'm moving to a 10,000 square foot home with a pool and everything. Like, are you trying to figure out how do I make this transition? I mean, it's kind of like a similar thing where how did you make that transition in mind? Because you mentioned coaching and I don't know if that's what helped because some people get it and it still doesn't. But how did you make that transition from residential multifamily to the commercial space where it's playing, it's like a different ball game. So yeah, the coaching, my coaching program would definitely help me getting into and comfortable with the commercial side of things. And if you guys remember, I said at the beginning, my husband took me to that three-day seminar and I upsold into their coaching program. So that coaching program, that wasn't the best one. But what I can say that it did for me is it exposed me to almost all the strategies from the very beginning. So that's, you know, I started with trying to wholesale But I knew about multifamily back then. I knew about commercial. I knew about all these other strategies because I had been exposed to that early. I know a lot of people get in, they start with single family because that's all they think is there. And then they discover multifamily. They're like, oh, why did I waste all my time with single family, blah, blah, blah. But I knew about it from the beginning. So I always wanted to do it, but I thought it was something that had to come down the road. But when I had my three family and it was time to refinance and I knew I was going to get money out, I'm like, okay, I'm going to reinvest this money and I want to buy bigger multifamily, but I know I can't do that on my own and I need to be in a group. So that's when I joined a group that about multifamily networking within that group. And it was the summer of COVID actually. I had just started like going to my market and doing all the stuff like meeting, going on property tours, meeting brokers, meeting property managers, doing all the stuff, driving out there. COVID hit and shut everything down. And so it turned into the summer of Zoom and the summer of like just phone calls. Yeah. So I was on phone calls with like everybody in my mentorship group. And someone would say, oh, you're looking in this market. You should talk to this person. And I talked to that person. And then he'd say, oh, you, I like your story. You should talk to this person. So it was like this is like phone hot potato. And I was just going around like <laughs> talking to so many different people. I eventually got introduced to another investor in my market who's not even in the mentorship group. But I would have never met him if I had not been introduced to him. From somebody in my mentorship group. And so we had a few phone calls. He liked that. He actually was a little bit more experienced Mm -hmm. than I was, but he liked that I knew things about the market and had certain assumptions just from studying the market and really diving in. That's why I always suggest to people, 
who are newer, pick one market and focus there and learn about that market. A lot of newer investors will try to say, oh, I do nationwide because they don't want to block out opportunities. Yeah. But you're not fooling anybody who has an eye. Anybody who's a little bit more experienced, they hear that and they automatically have an alert like you're new. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. So focus on a market. You will impress people with your specificity of what you're looking for. And when you meet people in that market, they will know that you know what you're talking about. And that's how my partnership was able to come about. And I partnered with him. He already had all the things in place. He had the property management. He had the loan relationship with the lender. He had, you know, the contract, all the people and things. Like I just kind of walked into a team that was kind of pre-established, but because I knew what I was talking about and I pointed out, like, he didn't want to tell me the name of his property manager. But then I named someone who was the best property manager that we had talked to, me and another friend who were in my group who were looking at the same market. Yeah. We had split up talking to different vendors and the best property manager who could answer any questions that we had was this one group. And so I mentioned that group to him and he was like, oh, you know about, oh, he, because he was shocked and he didn't want to tell me his property manager because he didn't want like them to get st too stretched in. I don't know what it was. Yeah, but yeah. in any case, <laughs> that kind of like impressed him that I could just name them off the top of my head and be right. You know what I mean? Like, so it's things like that. You can't know if you're trying to look nationwide, you'll never know the property managers of 50 different cities. You'll never know, you know, whose boots on the ground or what lenders to go to or what yeah. brokers and all that. So yeah, just be very specific. And oh my God, I got so off quite all. Off no, 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 no. I mean, okay. I think it's been good in terms of getting people. I mean, you're giving people the playbook on, on the commercial side of things versus now when we were in the residential. And I think them knowing that these, I mean, because there's a lot of education, they're not going to get all the answers on a podcast, but at least yes. they get to understand whatever they don't understand. Like you said, they could always reach out to you and they could find a lot more information about, because you're not going to learn it. You're not going to learn everything in a classroom in one, one session. <laughs> exactly. You know? But you know, like, you know, that first of all, that was a lot of gems right there, Nicole. And, you know, I think for everyone listening in, especially the wives of family women that are aiming to build brands, you know, you just broke down how even choosing your partnership, partners have to be strategic and things of that sort. So, yeah, I mean, that was a lot of key gems, even to the point where you're breaking down how strategic your partnerships were, because this partner had everything that was necessary to build a successful partnership. And had you have been lackadaisic and I'm just choosing a partner off the whim, you probably wouldn't have been able to move past and achieve more success within this game. So what is the main characteristic that you say you've honed, refined, and that's what's really fueling your trajectory right now? What's that one characteristic that you want to tell everyone they should have in order to truly become a successful multifamily real estate investor? Honestly, I, there's nothing special about me outside of I have grit. Okay. I don't quit. You gotta have I grit. don't stop. There you go. So it's the persistency. It's the consistency. Even if you think you're moving slower than you should, you're not accomplishing things as quickly as you should. You're, you don't have time to go dive deep as much as you want. Because I know intensity is always spoke about as like a very important metric, which it, there you do need time to deep dive, right? And to have uninterrupted time to really work on one particular, you know, project or to do or whatever. You can't always just be doing the low value activities. Yeah. The high value money making activities take time, but that's hard when 
I work in a W-2, like I don't have a private office. I work in a clinic. So there's patients coming in and out all the time, right? There's, oh, can you get this for me? Can you do this? Can you do that? Like, so I have breaks in between, but it's never consistent. You never know what one day is going to look like. I don't have time to do a deep dive, like at a slow period at work. And even when I get home, the second I walk into the door, the girls are running up to me. Mommy, what is this? Or I need this. Or I need this. Or they're fighting. Or they're arguing. Or they're hungry. When they've been telling daddy this whole time, they're not hungry. But when mommy gets home, <laughs> now you're hungry. Right? Hear that all and the I'm time. Trying to get, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to get my own food. I might have calls that I need to get on. I'm trying to like hurry up and finish listening to this one thing or do this other one task that I didn't have time to finish. And so it's basically, even when you feel like it's crazy, and there's all, you never have that downtime or alone time to really dive deep. The only other time that I've been trying to set aside to do my real estate work is when I put the kids to bed. So I had to make myself consistent with putting them to bed so I could have yeah. a few hours after they go to bed to do work. And guess what? Sometimes I'm too tired and I'm knocked out on the couch sitting in my computer and my head's to the side. And I wake up two hours later with a kink and I'm like, oh my God, I wasted all that time. But I just, I, at that time, I wake up, it could be two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I'm not going to start doing work now. I'm just going to yeah. go to bed. So that night was wasted. But you have to listen to your body. And sometimes I get on the computer and I'm just like, oh, and I'm like, <laughs> want it. And I'm, yeah, yeah. and I, my husband will wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, be two o'clock. And I'm just getting up from my computer because I just did all this work. Nice. But you never know when that's going to happen. You're right. And the thing is, uh -huh. giving yourself grace to be able to just roll with it and do as best as you can in that moment. And even if you're not doing as much as you think you can, just don't stop and don't quit. Because when you look back over a year, you'll see, oh my God, I did all of that in a year? I didn't even realize. Because in the moment, I felt like I was just putting out fires. But just keep wow. pushing forward. Little jobs award and make a bite. That is a great answer. I think it, it tells you know, grit is the word, people, but... I think it has everything in it. And it just, like you said, little drops of water make a mighty ocean. People have to just give themselves grace and keep doing things. Now, another thing that, I mean, obviously you're needed. And I want to just say everything you just explained, it, it make you a super mom. And it, the funny thing is I was looking for a word. Is there like a word, like a super dad? Like, and I searched this thing online. There's nothing like that. It's just a super mom. So dads don't have the word <laughs> like super dad. And it's funny, I searched this on Instagram. Right. And it's, believe it or not, it was like, I was Crazy. looking for like an emoji. There was none that existed that fit. Cause I was trying to make myself into like the super dad. And I'm like, all I kept finding was super mom. And you just explained to the world what a super mom is in terms of like your work, your real estate, your kids and juggling all that. And I mean, you have a lot of stuff going on and you're making it happen, but understanding that you have to give yourself grace and you cannot beat yourself down. Cause if you do, I think that's the biggest time waster. If you're beating yourself down yeah. mentally, it's draining. I know that Ralph knows that you know that, and it's not going to help. It's just not going to get you where you need to, but transitioning yeah. to something that I wanted to ask about, cause I think people get to understand the basics. You, you talked about meeting partners and doing all the stuff. I mean, even when you bought your house, how you got money. But now in the commercial real estate side of things, raising money, this is something that I think a lot of people who, I mean, and this, we will probably just talk about it at the most basic level. Can you give some insight about how people raise money or what you've done to raise money in terms of buying commercial real estate now where it's not, I mean, even if it's residential, where it's like a four unit, but yeah, I, can you touch on that a little bit more? 
I know it's loaded, but try to unpack it real quick. <laughs> yeah. Brief, brief overview. A lot. Okay. Brief overview. It doesn't work if you don't tell anybody you're doing real estate. There you if go. you don't show anybody you've been doing the work to learn real estate. Okay. If you don't show them that you are just in the field, you're doing things, even if you haven't bought anything yet, you can still show people through your social media, through phone conversations, at dinner, say, oh, I was reading this book. I learned X, Y, Z. I was analyzing this property. I know how to underwrite this, but that wasn't a good deal because they wanted this much and they wanted this, you know, and this was happening over here. So just explaining stuff like that to tell, even when things are not working out and nothing, no movement is happening, but showing people that you're still pushing and learning uh -huh. in the field. Okay. That is going to be the biggest thing to open people up to potentially being able to work with you. The other biggest thing that I learned, I was doing all the things. So all the stuff they tell you with Raising Capital, have a thought leadership platform, which was I was using social media. I had started my podcast. I was in groups. I was networking with people. I was telling everybody what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I had my email list. I'd had all the things, right? And I thought, oh, I people know me. I'm yeah. going to be able to raise this money. I got enough connects. I'm doing all the things that they say to do. Yeah. Raising money is hard. It is okay. hard. So I was doing all the things just shy of actually asking people if they wanted to invest and what their investment, not capital, but like what their ability was. What were they looking for? What's their investment goals? How much money would you be able to invest? It's hard to start talking about money specifically. And I never crossed that line until I started raising for deals. Okay. And then it was hard because people were in different phases of life. Somebody's saving to buy a house. Somebody just bought a house. Somebody's doing this. Somebody's doing that. Or somebody has to move money around or they just put it into another investment. So there's going to be things that are happening in people's lives where their capital is, or is not available, regardless of if they like you as a person and they trust you as a person they don't have the money at that time then you know that's just you can you curse on here asked out i don't know it's about family dynamics so this is the reality <laughs> yes exactly so the biggest tip for raising capital is telling people what you're doing showing people that you're actually learning and building your skill set and Actually having conversations and do the ask before you need it. And you hear that all the time with raising money. And I stopped short just of doing that. Wow. So be specific about asking what, how much you would want to invest. What would you want to invest? What type of projects would you want to invest in? What kind of returns would you be expecting? Okay. And have maybe a sample deal. Like look at something that you want to do. Maybe you want to do a five unit. So find a five unit in the market that you would like to invest in. That looks about like if you want to have like a brick something that's in this market that has, you know, this many units or whatever it is in this price range, find an example of that, underwrite it and say, show it to the person like this is the kind of deals that I'm going to be looking for. This one didn't work because the numbers just didn't pencil out. Okay. But if this is something that you would be looking interested in because I'm looking for this kind of return, then let me know. And when I find something... I'll give you the first opportunity. Make it sound as yeah. if there's scarcity there. Like you're going to give that person the first opportunity, but if they don't want it, you have somebody else you can ask, but you would prefer to work with them yeah. if they're interested because I, you like them better. You know what I mean? Like, I like that's that. sales and just 
putting I, that I, out there. So you broke it down. I think this they'll jump on saying. it when the opportunity comes. Showing yeah. people what you do is an important thing that probably a lot Great. of people overlook, including myself. And then the ask. So I think to what Rob said, quickly breaking it down, you gave so you gave two things, which is important in raising capital. You got to show people what you do, how you do it, and you got to ask. It's like sales. If you don't ask, you're not making the sales. So that's a good one. So asking before that. you need it. Don't wait yeah. till you need it because you won't have the money. Phenomenal. They say if you're a good, you find a good deal, the money will come. That is not true. That, right. Yeah. And that goes, you know, I've always heard that in business as well, too, in regards to business credit. Grab all your business credit now versus when you're going to need it. You rather have it and not need it versus need it and not have. So that's a key yeah, exactly. gem right there. Definitely. Thank you. So I know for a fact, that's we're going to get in bombarded. Everyone wants to know much about Nicole. Any upcoming projects, any upcoming, you know, any current projects you're working on, any upcoming projects people should be looking forward to? Ooh, I actually, I'll be speaking at a conference, but it's in Atlanta hey. at the beginning of August. So I don't even know when this is going to okay. air. So it might be after, but Otherwise, the main other project I'm working on is I'm really working on the growth of two things right now. The growth okay. of my own podcast, Share the Wealth Show, which is helping to expose people to other wealth building possibilities and give you a holistic view of wealth. So not just like how to invest in things, but like how to protect it after. So our tagline is how to helping minorities build, grow and protect their wealth. Because I think generational wealth is a catchphrase that a lot of people say, but nobody actually knows how to do or is no one yeah. actually doing. Like you make all the money, but just because you make money don't mean you're making it generational because you're not, you don't have the assets in place on the back end to protect it. Something happens to you. That's the generational part. Yeah. So growing my podcast and growing my coaching, my mentorship business. Okay. So I have a group that I'm, I've started earlier. Now I'm opening it back up to a new cohort and I'm, you know, fielding calls now. We're getting on discovery calls and figuring out what that, if there's a good fit there, it's called the Microfamily Maverick because I am firmly in belief that starting small is the best way to get started. And you don't, there's a lot of people out there who say, go big or go home. And you basically, oh, you can start with a hundred unit building. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, come on. I, it's not really as simple as that. This could take me on a whole other diatribe, which yeah. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> right. But starting small, even if it's a house hack on the residential side or smart, starting five to 10 units, something like that's digestible. It's still going big for you at this point. If you haven't done that yet, yeah. that's still a big move. Anything over a single family is big for most people, right? So starting there and then using that to do the whole refi and roll strategy, which is refinancing your equity and putting that into purchasing another property. And that's how you can slowly and sustainably grow your portfolio and build wealth and make it generational. So they all kind of tie in together. Cool, no doubt. So people working, share the wealth podcast, microfamily maverick. Right. These are two ways you could check out the podcast. And then obviously from there, you could be able to connect with Nicole right. that way. So, I mean, that's uh, good information. Go ahead, Ralph. Well, Nicole, where else can they find you online? Are you on IG, Facebook? Where can they interact with you? Yes. So um, Instagram, Facebook, but my primary platform is LinkedIn. So, um, but I'm active on all three. If you message me in any of the places, I will, you know, respond or just even going to my website and putting in a request, a contact form there. It's noirvestholdings.com. I can give you that link as well. Yeah, but yeah, just send in a message. N-O-I-R. Okay, noir. V-E-S-T. Yeah, holdings.com. Okay. 
could find it in the show notes, people. So that way you know where to find the horse. Exactly. Sucks. All right, that's on you, man. Cool. Well, I mean, before you go, I had three questions we like to ask everyone who comes on the show. And everybody gets different answers. So I'm going to just shoot and you're going to give me some quick answers. <laughs> first one is you meet an entrepreneur. What is the first piece of advice you give them? If I meet an entrepreneur? Yeah, if I'm you meet an entrepreneur, like a, a new entrepreneur. And they're talking to you, like a new one. And they're just talking to you and they just, well, well, what's the first piece of advice you'd give them, whether they ask for it or not? Like, <laughs> Simplify your offer. Okay. Bad says she got a lot red on that one. A little bit, yeah, yeah. What do you mean yeah, by that? Like, in what context? Yeah. I guess in what context? Yeah, exactly. In anyone? Yeah. Y'all yeah. drew me back in. I was trying. To I, keep know, it short. I know. You drew me. Back. I wanted to keep it short too, but I'm like, so, in what? Context? Yeah, come on. In what context? A, yeah. So, I mean, because it could be anything. If I'm selling T-shirts, I have yeah. to simplify what it is right. to. Uh, so yeah, just give us one example of right what someone can do, especially in your real estate world. Like yeah. Yeah. So simplifying the offer basically, but, and I wasn't thinking about in real estate because the offer is just okay. a rent, it's a place to live, right? Yeah. That's a rental. So I'm thinking about just entrepreneur and in any other context because, you know, I'm doing a lot of other things. I know yeah. you guys are doing things outside yeah. of real estate, but a lot of people think they need to start with like, you know, five different offerings to give people uh, like okay. y'all have this product okay. over here i have this product okay. over here i have this product. like let's say you're starting a face care line and you want to have all these different creams and scrubs and all these different scents to choose from and all this stuff but like hone in on one go deep i guess that's a better that's yeah. a better answer just okay. dive deep in one area first okay so that's where most wealth is made when you dive deep in one avenue in one lane once you get to become an expert level at that, then you can think about diversifying. And okay. that's in any market, Skill any skit, yeah, any industry that you're a part of, whatever you're doing. And the diversification is where you start getting the wealth protection. But at the very beginning, you're trying to have capital growth. You're not you're a little bit more risk tolerant because you're trying to build capital, which requires risk. Then after you build that and you've dive, you dove deep. Now you can step back and like diversify to a couple other buckets for asset protection. Okay. I like that. I like that. Cool. Next question. What's a digital resource that helps you great? Jeez Louise, crap. Right now, I, a digital one that helps me a lot is I use HubSpot as a okay. CRM. Okay. Okay. So that's right. to send emails, stay in contact with people, keeping keep notes about, you know, conversations I've had with, you know, various people as well. So that's kind of I guess a big one right now. I'm in the it's hard for me because I'm in the middle of like learning about systems. And so okay. I'm learning about all these other digital resources and softwares. And so I have a lot floating around in my head right yeah, now. I know. We just need to pick one out of you. So yeah. Last question. What advice would you give to a new mother and a wife? Come on. I thought y'all wanted short answers, man. I know it's difficult to give a short answer on it, but like, exactly. hey, if somebody came up to you or well, based on everything they hear, what advice yeah. would you give them? As a new mother, there's no rule book for mothering. Okay. Don't let somebody else's opinion dictate what you feel like you should do as a mother for your child. 
You don't have to do what your mother did, what your mother-in-law did, what your baby's best friend, whoever over here, your aunt, uncle did. Don't listen to anybody else. Like they can give you good advice, but then take that advice and then take what you want and leave what you don't. Okay. Don't feel like you have to conform to everybody else's parenting style. Love that. As a wife... Once the kid is this with or without kids? Because it's hey, it doesn't matter. Because yes, I mean, they're probably going to have kids if they're family. So yeah, right. It doesn't matter. Just make sure you and your husband have the same values. Okay, right? And you because a lot of people just are so far in love when they decide to get married that you've had su- surface level conversations, but not really deep like day-to-day life conversations and you're both going to change as people as you grow so and i think that's that might be where divorce ends up being yeah a big topic or a big like just like not issue but a big occurrence in this country is that people are at this level when they get married and then you start growing and you're growing at either at different speeds or in different directions so you have to have those conversations at the very beginning because the thing is, you don't know the future. Yeah. You don't know how you're going to grow, how fast you're going to grow, what direction you're going to go into. But as long as the core of you two are have the base level kind of family oriented, willing to work through pains and trials, then I think you can weather any growth storms that kind of separate you, but make sure you always kind of are in alignment. If you have that fundamental like foundation of this is for the family, mm-hmm. right? Then no matter what you're doing separately, that's going to still bring you together and, and you'll understand the actions of each other because you're at the end of the day, you're all doing it for the family. And when you have kids, a lot of stuff goes out the window because you're focused on raising two little humans. I, oh my God, I'm talking to myself. You're focused <laughs> on raising little humans, no matter how many there are. Yeah. And a lot of time that closeness with your spouse can kind of dissipate because you're just, you're working, you're doing childhood you're doing household you're cleaning all this stuff and it just takes a lot out of you so take a time to just have a date night and go to dinner you know once a month or just something to get out the house and reconnect i think it is good advice man you don't even understand how great like i mean i'm listening to this stuff and it's funny i was telling rock that when we interview people i'm listening because I'm listening to get advice from the person that we're asking questions to because I'm just like, that's a good one. I could actually implement that in my life. So thank you very much. Hope a lot of people out there got a lot of gems from you, I guess, with regards to, I mean, initially family, we went into entrepreneurship, the real estate piece of it. You gave a lot of great information. So thank you very much, Nicole. We appreciate your time and like any partner words from Ralph, but this has been good yeah, no, this has definitely been great for all the listeners. I hope you guys truly can appreciate hearing this advising and hearing this story from the other side. I can tell you as family men building this branch is re- great and refreshing to hear this from a family woman. And it kind of reinforces a lot of things. And for all the women listening in, I hope you can kind of see what type of mentality and also see that it's possible yes. to do this. Because someone like Nicole can make it happen with two children, a husband, house hacked in the very beginning with multiple family. business, uh, right? Brands. Multiple exactly. things, or at least things, multiple exactly. things going on multiple in her life. Things. And she's making, and she's making it happen. No excuses. So, right. Exactly. 
Let's so go. kudos, man. This has been a great episode. You know, Family Man Building the Brand. Wherever you're listening right now, please make sure to rate us, subscribe, give us some feedback. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Nicole. This has been a great episode, and we'll see you guys on the next Thanks, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This was great. I loved it. Awesome. That's it for today's episode of Family Man Building the Brand. We hope we left you with a ton of value from this episode. If you like what you heard, feel free to leave us a rating and a review. This helps our show gain traction with other listeners just like you. You can join our community by subscribing and following Family Man Building the Brand on your favorite podcast platform. Remember, we're family and together we build.